0: Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.
2: It's time to get outside. This is KSL Outdoors, brought to you by Bear River Lodge. Two hours of stories and information on hunting, fishing, and high adventure. Our
1: host is Tim Hughes on KSL News Radio.
3: Hour number two, and the final one for another week here at KSL Outdoors Radio. And uh, as always, it's a pleasure to have you uh, with us. Coming up in this half hour, we'll go road tripping with the boys. Uh, Looks like Bob stepped out for a minute. We'll uh, find out from him exactly what's coming up. And we'll connect with Mark, uh, or with uh, Mark Wade, of course, here from uh, road tripping with Bob and Mark. Also this hour, we're going to get the latest from Tim Ryan and the Row 4 ALS crew Don't know what they've been up to since we last chatted with them, but they're getting a week closer here, obviously, to their uh, big trek, their sail across, or row, I guess. I shouldn't say sail. That totally defeats the purpose. They're going to be rowing their way across the Pacific Ocean to the islands. And then wrap things up this morning with Roger Eggett from uh, Bear River Lodge. If you were listening last week, we checked in with Darren DeBlois, who is the Game Mammals Coordinator for the Division of Wildlife Resources. We were talking cougars This week, Faith suggested we reconnect with Darren to uh, talk about bears, which we're about to do over the next few minutes. I said off the air, uh, Darren, maybe we'll just make you a permanent co-host here. If you want to chalk out some time every week, we'll connect and talk animals. Sounds good. (laughs) Uh, This week, it's bears. I was joking with somebody around the newsroom earlier this morning. I said, you know, remember that day when you woke up? on a saturday and uh looked outside and there was a foot of new snow and you just decided to go back to bed and not deal with it (laughs) Uh, that's kind of what the bears have been doing lately they're a little late to get out of the dens i think
4: yeah yeah we uh you know we have several bears collared across the state and it looks like when they did come out they just sort of hung there they didn't they didn't go anywhere right away usually they start kind of moving around but they were probably wondering what was going on. Yeah,
3: <laughs> what, what do you make of that? I mean, was it a, um, a decision on their part? I, without interviewing one and knowing what they're going to tell you, I don't know. But, right, but, yeah. or, or was it really just a factor that there's so much snow up there they couldn't get out?
4: Yeah, I mean, they. Uh, I mean, they can dig out of the den, but it's really a, a resource thing. So if they come out and there's nothing to eat, they'll they'll generally just go back in and, and sleep for a little bit longer. But. Um, you know, this year it was particularly long, and, and uh, you know, they're moving around now, but I'm sure they're pretty hungry. So uh, that that that's timely for what we're going to talk about today, too. You know, that that especially this spring, they may be a little bit less polite. Yeah. <laughs> people aren't careful about what they're putting out
3: there. When you guys sit around and talk about, you know, the ramifications of them coming out of the den lately, other than them being hungry, do you worry about their health?
4: Yeah, yeah. In fact, we had a recently had a sighting of a bear in in the Cache, which of course got some of the the biggest snow we had, and and it was not looking too good. It was really thin and, and, and struggling. So, we went up to try to find it, see if we could assess its health, but by then it moved on. So, hopefully, fingers crossed, it found something to eat and, and it's doing all right. But but it definitely was an indication that bears really, especially in northern Utah, um, really did. Uh, Struggle a little bit this year with with all the snow and the length of time they, they had to spend in dens.
3: What do they come out looking for the most as far as food source goes?
4: Usually, they're going to start eating that green that green up that we see all over the mountains uh, this time of year. Insects, they'll just pack it on as much as as possible. I suspect that they're probably using some of the the winter kill carcasses as well. That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, we did lose a lot of a lot of deer and, and some elk especially in northern Utah this this year. So I'm sure they're taking advantage of that where they can.
3: Yeah, and I'm sure, um, obviously, we're going to talk about bear safety here. I'm sure you're a little concerned about what kind of interactions the bears are going to have with humans, and maybe the the positive side of this would be that the same snow that was keeping the bears in their dens might also keep campers away from their campsites.
4: Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I think hopefully they'll, they'll have enough time before people really start hitting that high country to 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 put some some fat on and they won't be quite so desperate. so I think I think that's probably a good good guess, and I think that's probably a good scenario. So hopefully we won't see any additional um, conflict with people this year, but of course we'll talk a little bit about some things people can do to avoid. Yeah, uh, you, those of runs in, you've run made
3: ins. you've made this point, and I think it's always important to make this point when we're talking about bear safety. Bears are not on the hunt for people; they typically want to do everything they can to stay away from you, just like you do away from uh, the bears themselves. But if they can find a food source, and this is why we always talk about a fed bear being a dead bear, you just you don't want to uh, you know start that process because uh, it ultimately lead, leads to bad things for the bear.
4: Right, yeah. I mean, bears are kind of noses attached to stomachs. <laughs> so <laughs> they'll uh, they'll follow that nose uh, wherever it takes them in terms of you know something that seems to be good. And their their primary goal in life is to to eat as much as possible. You know, especially in the fall. So um, keeping things that they might be curious about uh, away from where you're sleeping and those kinds of things is is a good strategy.
3: We always talk about safety uh, concerns or having some safety tips for anybody that's recreating in bear country. But my guess is, and I have had this conversation with friends before, that if you said, uh, where are you camping? Is that bear country? They'd say, nah, no bears around there. So when we warn people to be safe in when recreating in bear country, where are we talking about? Is it an elevation thing? Is it parts of the state?
4: Yeah, it- you know i just really general 30,000 foot level anywhere but the west desert um you know west of west of salt lake and out, out there anywhere in in our mountainous ranges and in the southern deserts not not desert deserts but the southern red rock country there we've got bears and so primarily i would tell people if you're if you're heading to the mountains um, or you're heading to the back country assume that you're in bear country and that's a pretty good assumption
3: yeah All right, let's talk about things we can do around the campsite to protect ourselves and protect the bears themselves. Uh, You said they're a nose connected to a stomach. It really doesn't matter whether it tastes good or not. It's really about how it smells, and for that reason, things like deodorant and toothpaste can be a problem.
4: Yeah, yeah, any kind of strong smells like that, especially, you know, fruity, something that that they might want to investigate as a food source. Remember, you know, we talked about carcasses being out on the landscape. They'll, you know, stinky stuff isn't a deterrent either so they'll eat insects off carcasses and they'll they'll utilize carcasses that we would probably not want to be near so um, I always recommend people keep it, all of that stuff out of your tent out of your sleeping area anything but again people don't always think about non-food items but including yeah, deodorant toothpaste um, you know use your imagination but if, it, if it's got a strong smell you probably ought to store it somewhere away from your sleeping area
3: one of the things I learned early on was to uh, set a tent up if you're going to be tent camping away from where you're going to be doing your cooking, which I think is a basic need.
4: Yeah, yeah. So we, uh, you know, if you ever go to grizzly country and, and camp there, they typically will put their cooking area about 100 yards away from the sleeping areas. Uh, I probably don't need to be that drastic in Utah, but, but it's the same concept. You just If you're going to be using cooking, Keep those smells away. You know, don't go spit toothpaste. Brush your teeth right before bed and spit toothpaste out near your near your sleeping area, and then keep your camp clean. Keep all that stuff cleaned up, bag it up, and keep it somewhere where a bear can't get to it in a trunk or inside of a vehicle, that kind
3: of thing. Boy, we made a, a lot of mistakes uh, through the years of camping when I was younger. Um, you know, we do a fair amount of fishing, whether we were near a stream or near a reservoir or something, and uh, you always, would always clean the fish and maybe you just put the guts in a, a trash bag or something. That's a calling card. Or if you cook your bacon and decide that, yeah, the grease can go right here on the ground, that is going to be a problem down the road. So just little things.
4: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Another common thing we see in camps uh, is people like to put those hummingbird feeders out, especially if they're going to be there for a while. And that, that's just sugar water. So, you know, it's neat to see the hummingbirds, Man, but the bears will definitely get into those too. So Yeah, I, had,
3: I hadn't thought about that. Unsupervised outdoor pets, especially at night, can get you into
4: trouble. Yeah, yeah, there could be conflicts there. Make sure you keep your pets close and you're, you know, they don't need to be on a leash necessarily, but just make sure you're aware of where they are and what they're doing. Yeah,
3: we've only got a minute left here. Uh, run me through some of the things we would do if we do encounter a bear.
4: Usually it's kind of the same thing for what we talked about with Cougars last year. So stand your ground. Um, remember, we've got black bears in Utah, so the strategy is a little different. There are no grizzlies in Utah at this point in time. So, you know, keep stand your ground. Don't lie down and play dead, I guess is what I'm saying. Stay calm. Um, talk. Use uh, bear spray if you've got it. I'd recommend anybody that's going to be spending time in bear country have that. Have that around and ready um, don't run away black bears are good tree climbers climbing trees is not a good strategy um, you can visit uh, wild aware Utah and Bear behaviors and, and those types of things and if a bear attacks fight back don't play dead use anything you can uh, to fight back usually black bears are not too much heavier than a person you do, start, you, know, you do stand a pretty good chance of fighting back and getting that bear to decide to leave you alone. Yeah.
3: They do run faster than you think, too, like 35 miles oh, an yeah. hour.
4: <laughs> good right, l- yeah. You're not going to outrun it.
3: No, <laughs> not going to outrun it. All right. Uh, Darren, thanks, as always, for your time today. Uh, wildlife.utah.gov is a good place to start. Wild Aware Utah's website is a good place to go as well. Uh, Darren DeBlois, uh, Mammals, Mammals Coordinator for the Division of Wildlife Resources here in Utah. Thanks again. Good to talk to you. Yep. Stay right there. When we come back, we'll do a little road trip and Bob's back in and we'll check in with Mark Wade next on KSL Outdoors Radio.
0: Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds.
3: it's time to do a little road tripping this morning. And Bob is here in studio on the road with us.
1: Just can't wait to get actually, on he had the road to get on the
3: road again. just to be here today from uh, L.A. Verkin. But it, I'd like to think it was just to see us and be on the show. But no, it was a TV appearance that got him here, actually.
1: Yeah, well, whatever it takes to get me up <laughs> here. I don't come up here often, but I've been here twice now in one week. Look, In a week? yeah. And I you drop-
3: decided to go home in the meantime?
1: yeah. Yeah, but today's just a day trip. Everybody thinks that's such a hard thing to do, to drive from St. George to Salt Lake and back in the same day. You know,
3: it's funny. I'll bet people down there come this way more than we go down that way. No? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, But Mark's not with us this week. He said he's cliff diving in Acapulco. Uh, I'm going to guess the cliff diving part of that's probably not true.
1: If it's... Maybe 20 feet or less. (laughs) We had this discussion on his way there. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
3: Tim Ryan's coming up here in just a minute with the Row 4 ALS. Uh, They're going to be at Jordan L this weekend doing some training, and he was telling us uh, in preparation for our conversation that they just got done with some safety training that they have to go through uh, because it's mandatory for them to get out on the racetrack. I call it a racetrack to head across the Pacific Ocean. Uh, you and Navi were talking off the air. Navi, you can jump in here about uh, training you both had and experiences with utilizing um, your training out in the field.
1: Yeah, as a uh, as a tour guide, I have to have first aid training. I have to be certified, and I do that every two years, uh, which I just recently did. I mean, there's a lot of places on our tours that we may be long ways away from help. Yeah, And so I need to be prepared for that. Fortunately, knock on wood, I don't see any. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, I haven't really had to use it yet other than little cut, cuts and scrapes. Uh, but I was going through some uh, – this is a f- story I that will always stick in my mind because it was at Tickaboo. I was actually at Tickaboo going through some wilderness first aid training with the uh, canyoneering guides. And I was with the instructors, and at the end of our lesson, we had just gone through CPR – and they brought their boat. They wanted to go out on the lake, so they needed a third person to go. And I had my camera with me, so I said, Sure, I'd like to get some shots out there anyway. So I went with them. We launched the boat at Bullfrog, and we were just out floating out there. And a guy was bringing his boat in, and he was just bringing his boat down on his trailer, and he just fell over. Oh, my gosh. Just flat. And we had just gone through first aid training. And so I'm with two certified instructors, you know, and they said, We can't ignore it. We have to go in. So I stayed yeah. out in the boat. They went and got their kit and they worked on the guy for 45 minutes. But they said he was gone when he hit the ground. Wow. But um, the Park Service brought their helicopter up from Page. (laughs) So that turned out to be
3: more of an adventure than you had planned. Yeah, I I just thought, how
1: ironic. I just barely completed recertifying in CPR and we see this real life experience you know, right before our eyes. So, you, you know, it's good to be, and I, I know that anybody who has gone through first aid training hopes that they never have to use it, but they're glad that they have gone through the training in case they do.
3: Yeah, this was a big part of our conversation, Navi, when we went on the uh, Connect Talk River trip with you and something you were, I know, concerned about because you had guys who were middle-aged or, or older uh, headed out into the middle of the wilderness on a 100-mile uh, float trip with nobody to come help if you needed it.
2: Right. That's the key. Um, I'm so, I'm a certified, certified, certifiable knucklehead. Yeah. Um, I've had CPR or whatever, but I, we had a guy, a gentleman, I'm not going to say his name, but you might know him in the community, owns a little oil company, um, if you know him. But anyway, uh, second day of a 10-day float, um, he has a sockeye on, and he's standing on the raft. The raft is banked, and the, the fish went down river. so he jumps off the boat and broke his ankle. And it was bad. And, like, he's laying there holding on to the rod. And he goes, take my rod. And I knew he was in trouble. So, I looked at it, and it was just awful. It was swelling up really big. And I just put this in the ice-cold river for a while, let him go for a half hour. And I go, it's broken. There's no doubt. I don't know what to do. There's no way to get him out of there. We still had eight-day float, So, I said, just, let's just raise it up, put on a, a wool sock, and then two rolls of duct tape. I grabbed the heel and the and the toe, and I just pulled it back best I could, and then let it go back. I didn't know how to set the bone, but I just pulled it, and then let it go back. And then we put two rolls of duct tape on it. By the end of the trip, he was catching fish, so bouncing down the river with a limp. But when he got home, I thought they'd have to reset it or break it again. But the, he says, "Tell you, the doctor says tell that Navi that he set it beautiful, and I just got lucky."
3: Wow. Yeah. I had not heard that story before, but that's panic mode when you're out there. I mean, having been on the connect Talk, I I've shared this thought many times when that float plane <laughs> drops off the last group and it makes the turn up off the uh, lake and, you know, disappears around the mountain. There is a sense of, Oh boy. Uh, yeah. what now if something goes wrong and, and you do need to have those skills, that's for sure.
2: Yeah, but you can't panic. you got to just think rationally and do your best. And, look, I see him periodically still, and he's doing fine, and he always says my ankle's perfect. I I got lucky, I mean. That's and, great, and though. Maybe Yeah.
3: Another use for duct tape. Uh yeah. Did your training this year, Bob, change at all with the water situation? I guess they would always train you for water rescue, wouldn't they?
1: Yeah. Well, in wilderness first aid training, and uh, the first aid training I go through for guiding, No. But we go through, you know, the first aid training, CPR, AED, you know, all the basic knowledge that you would need to assist, you know, take care of the situation until help arrives. Yeah. And so it's pretty intensive training. And, uh, you know, it's changed slightly over the years, but still pretty much the same. Yeah. Uh, It's good to know. I mean, it it gives me confidence that, uh, you know, something happened, but... Anyway, again, I hope it never have to use it. No,
3: no kidding. <laughs> do you have any of that kind of information, safety information on the, the blog site?
1: Or I don't know that I've put any on the blog, but I can. There's a Red Cross first aid training is really a good online training. If someone wants to just do it at home and learn the basic fundamentals, they can do that right from their computer.
3: Yeah, because as you said, that day down at Tickaboo, you didn't know what was coming, and that's usually the case, right? Yeah. You don't plan for those events in your life. Uh, if you want to find out more, go on one of these great adventures with uh, Bob and Mark. You can do it at roadtrippingwithbobandmark.com. We'll take a break. I mentioned Tim Ryan would check in with us on the Row 4 ALS crew. They're headed to Jordan L tomorrow. If you're going to be in the vicinity, you might pull up and just watch them for a little while. It'll be uh, a little run through, sort of a dry run on uh, what's going to be happening with them out there in the middle of the Pacific Ocean in a couple of weeks. That conversation after we get you a news update next here on KSL Outdoors Radio.
2: I'm Dave Colley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985.